Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Um, We're in week three of our four-week series, Band-Aids, Buckets, and the Table. Um, First week, we talked about Band-Aids, and then we talked about buckets last week. The next two weeks, uh, this week, and and next week, we'll talk about the table. Uh, Don't worry. worry, You'll get to hear Jeremy preach this morning. I'm only going to do some intro, and I'll do some closure at the end. Um, but what I want to do is just kind of help package this a little bit. What are Band-Aids, what are buckets, and how do we come to the table? And, you know, a Band-Aid, as we talked about, are those wounds that we received uh, in life. Uh, They can be self-inflicted wounds, dumb decisions we make, right? We do those. They can be wounds inflicted by others. Um, We live in a fallen world and stuff happens. Um, Also, those could be scars from wounds that have happened long ago that maybe weren't treated properly and they left a scar, and that can affect us today. So that's the Band-Aids. That's a pretty pretty easy concept, I think, to to understand. Buckets is a little little more nebulous, but buckets are what we carry around with us as a result of those wounds. So if I have uh, a scar, that could affect how I relate to people. So as an example, um, this is very common. Um, is, as a kid, maybe, or, or younger in your life, if you received a message of rejected, somebody has rejected you. That hurts. You can be rejected by a group. Uh, you can be rejected by an individual. Uh, in my freshman year, between my uh, eighth and ninth grade, um, was my first real girlfriend. Man, I was... This was newfound emotion. I was in love, and it was, this was awesome. And we were dating, and as eighth and ninth grade, we had horses, so we rode horses together. Um, it was just, it was awesome. Until one day it wasn't. And I had gone over to her house like I had done, my, you know, uh, many times before. I knocked on the door, and it's like, she wouldn't even answer the door. She didn't want to see me. She says, uh, no, we're done. No explanation, just you are no longer in my life. Now, as a, as a 14-year-old, right, how do you, how do you do, deal with that? I had no idea how to, how to deal with that. And that hurt, the pain of that hurt very much. And so, you know, I'm thinking, well, yeah, I don't like pain. Uh, I'm not going to let that happen again. And so, uh, I started my bucket. I uh, started carrying things around, and one of the things I said is I'm going to make a shield. I'm going to put a shield around my heart so it doesn't get broken again. And as a 14-year-old, that's how I knew to cope with life. I don't like pain. Who likes pain? Nobody likes pain, except those weird people that run marathons. And uh, Iron Man is like, that's incredible. Um, they love pain. You have to. Um, so I, I, this is what I did. Um, I carried this. I carried this shield around me for a long time, 
And when somebody would get close to me, when I start to feel uncomfortable or vulnerable, I'd pull my shield out. So it's good to protect ourselves from pain, but not when that interferes with relationship. If now I can't enter in a vulnerable, be vulnerable in a relationship, I've shortcut what God would like to do in my life to minister through other people. That's very typical um, that at some point in time, uh, we've, we've experienced some rejection, and that hurts. Uh, another one might be, um, and I know this is very common too, and that is, man, look at this. Thank you, Marie, for 4-H and winning big things. <clears throat> this represents my performance. And it's very difficult to escape the conclusion that our worth is based on our performance. Really easy to fall into that trap. And if you're in a marriage, for example, um, and, and the wife wants to be loved by her husband, her husband is insensitive, um, I don't know how I know these things, but um, the wife might start to feel like, and this can happen in any relationship, I need to perform to be accepted. If I do this and this and this, then I'll be loved. If I do that, I'll be accepted. And this can happen in our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to perform a certain way because that's what people are expecting. And if I don't do that, then somebody will reject me. I won't be accepted. So this is something else I carry around in my bucket. And as you notice, when we're carrying stuff around in our bucket, it ties our hands up. It's difficult to, uh, to have our hands free uh, to minister to other people and to just do life. If we're carrying a bucket around and continually getting our, our things uh, out of the bucket. And these are coping mechanisms. These are things that we've learned when we didn't know any better how to handle issues in life. What we're going to start to talk about today is how do I empty my bucket? How do I get rid of my, the things that are in my bucket, and how do I let God? And our analogy is the table. We come to the table, and there we meet God, and there we are able to let God heal those wounds, soften those scars, meet those needs. When I'm loved by God, I can handle rejection. When I'm accepted by God, I can better handle rejection. It still hurts but I don't need to put a shield over myself and protect myself from that again. So Jeremy's going to take us to the table. Uh, next week, we're going to continue our discussion about the table. Thanks, Matt. Feel free to use anything in my bucket. It's really, I got a good bucket. I'm really, I, it's clean. I'm proud of it. Um, I use those things really well. <laughs> And it's a Menards bucket. And if you know Matt, he knows Menards pretty well. So if you're ever there and you're lost, look for Matt and he will help you where you need to go. Um, John chapter four is where we're gonna be today. Uh, so grateful to have you guys here. John chapter four, we're looking for the third day at the story of the woman at the well. And Jesus comes to this woman, you know, early in the chapter of John, we've read it. It says it was necessary that Jesus goes this route. 
We talked about the route. We showed some photos about the route. We won't do that again today. What I want to kind of bring our attention to is we begin to talk about the table. And the reason why the table is so important is because we believe this is where God wants us to live. We, we, we believe that he wants us to regularly dwell and dine at the table from him. And I want to show you how, how the woman does this in this story. She and Jesus have this conversation, and it gets a little bit odd in some regards because they start talking about, you know, give me a drink. Uh, you're a Samaritan. I'm a Jew. How is this going to happen? The woman thinks, or she thinks, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. How is this going to happen? Not, not only that, she's a woman. He's a man. They don't really talk. Uh, culturally speaking, Jesus is asking for water. He promises her something even more. If you knew who is asking you for a drink, Jesus says you would you would ask him for a drink, and she's like all confused. And Jesus says, like, I'd give you living water. In the culture, in the period of the time, we talked about this last week, living water is the best kind of water you can have. It's the water that truly satisfies thirst. It's the difference between going and getting water out of a less flowing well and picking it up in a nice, cool, crisp mountain stream. Like, I'd go for the mountain stream. Um, and the people then would too. Living water is also something that purifies. It's something that, that is important for all the worship that takes place. And the woman says to Jesus in verse 15, after he's promised this, like, if you ask me for a drink, I will give you water springing up within you for eternal life. She goes, sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. All right, so, so she goes, give me living water. Um, and Jesus says, go get your husband. And she's like, but I've got my bucket, right? I'm, I'm here. I'm ready for the living water. And he says, go get your husband. And she responds, I don't have a husband. She answered, you've correctly said this, Jesus says. Um, you have had five husbands, and the man you're not living with now is not your husband. He says, what you said is true. And then she begins to take a, a slightly different part of the conversation because she's never been called out in that kind of way before, especially from someone who's not from the area, who doesn't know her past, presumably, and what is going on in her life, the deep, dark corners. And um, the woman says in verse 19, she says, sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Now, she's a Samaritan. One of the things that marked the Samaritans is they didn't believe in the whole Old Testament, all right, or the Tanakh. They, they, they believed only in the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the Torah. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was their Bible. They didn't take anything from Joshua all the way through Malachi. They just cared about those first five books. They thought those were authoritative and not the other ones. And, and she says, sir, I, I see that you're a prophet. Now, when she says prophet, she has no idea, uh, or she doesn't at least hold to or believe in Isaiah's prophecies and in Jeremiah's prophecies and Ezekiel's prophecies and Joel's prophecies, because there's all these different kinds of prophets in the Old Testament. Um, when she says prophet, She's referring to something most likely in Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. You don't need to go there, but it, it's, a, it's a promise of a prophet who would come like unto Moses. A prophet who would be Messiah. And she says, she says, sir, I see that you're a prophet. And I'm not sure that she fully understands who she's talking to yet. In fact, I'm pretty sure she doesn't. But she's like, I see that you're a prophet. And she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. So here we go from talking about living water to talking about how many husbands she's had to talking about worship. 
Why? Well, she takes it that way, and there's a long-standing debate and um, feud over where the proper place to worship is. Is it in Jerusalem at the temple, the place that David took the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God would have his name dwell? Or is it Mount Gerizim, which is in Samaria, not too far from where they are standing? And that's the place where the Samaritan temple's at. And, and she's like, but our fathers told us to worship up on this mountain, and your fathers told you to worship over there. How are we going to reconcile the two? She's talking to a Jewish rabbi, and Jesus says to her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming, verse 21, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. All right, so he, he's siding with the Jewish argument that the proper place to worship up until around this time has been Jerusalem, where, where the temple of God is, where, where people come in day after day, week after week, year after year, especially during certain holy parts of the season, and they offer sacrifices, recognizing their sin before God, recognizing um, that, that they are in many ways incapable of doing anything about their sin, except God has said, do this. And God has promised a redeemer, a, a suffering servant, who would come and who would take upon himself all the sins of the world. The woman says to him, where do we worship? And Jesus says, there's coming a time where the place is going to matter little. He says, in fact, um, an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. All right? So, so it's not in Jerusalem, though you can worship in Jerusalem. It's not in Mount Gerizim, though, though you could worship there right now. It's not in Zeeland, Michigan. It's not in Los Angeles, California. There's something that transcends location for God when it comes to worship, and that is this phrase. It's not in a place, it's in a person. In spirit and and truth. In fact, Jesus says, yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. And then he says something that gives us a, a bit of information about who God is. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So here she is standing before the one who created the world, who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. She's standing before him, and he's saying, you've missed some of the point. There's a time coming, and it's even here, and it comes to a culmination on his death and his resurrection. That, that, that's when things really begin to change, because Jesus promises living water, eternal life that comes through the Spirit's work. John chapter 7 talks about that. And Jesus invites her into not worshiping in a place, but worshiping in spirit and in truth. And I love the way that one um, scholar puts it. He says this, to worship in spirit and in truth describes worship that is dynamically animated by God's Holy Spirit, informed by the revelation of God and provided to humans by the one who is the truth, Jesus Christ. See, see, we often tend to label things like this worship, and, and they can be, right? Like, we can gather for worship today. We can also gather with a hardened heart and do very little worship except of ourselves. You, you can be stand, standing or sitting, I guess you're sitting. Um, you could be sitting where you are. You could have having sung words of declaration to God meant them little. 
And Jesus is saying, there's a way that you're called to worship. It's worship that's dynamically animated by God's spirit. So a context like this is a great opportunity to worship because, I mean, God's word says to, to gather as believers and to lift up the name of the Lord. He, he calls the community often to, to sing and to make music in your hearts to the Lord. But we can sing and make music without doing it to the Lord. We can do a lot of things in our own power, in our own self-serving end, and completely miss God in the center of it all. On, on, as a contrast, you can go to work tomorrow. You can go to school tomorrow. And as you enter those doors, as you wake up for your day, you can say, God, I'm here right now. I want to worship you. And you worship God through how you make your coffee and how you talk to your spouse and how you lift up your kids. I was at a wedding yesterday and um, such a beautiful time to gather and to celebrate God's goodness in the life of this couple. And uh, as I was getting ready to, to have the wedding start, I'm, I'm back on this um, uh, balcony and it's about 10 minutes to go and I'm just looking over my notes to make sure number one I have the right names and I have the right notes and you know, I do all those things multiple times and I'm looking over what I'm about to say and the father of the, the bride comes up to me and he says pastor could I pray for you I said absolutely absolutely you can he goes you're about to share an incredible message of God's word to people who need to hear it See, I, I may have officiated a wedding yesterday, but what we had was a worship service because we were gathered to celebrate God. We were to celebrate God's goodness and greatness in the midst of this couple's lives. And as they go into their first full day of marriage today, they have the opportunity right now, right here with whatever they're doing right now, wherever they're at right now, they have the opportunity to worship God through how they live. You know, Worship is not just a gathering of people. Worship is an is a outlook and, and practice of life where you say, God, you are God and I'm not. And, and I love that it says it's dynamically, I love how he says it's dynamically animated by God's spirit because what happens when we come to trust Jesus' death and resurrection is the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And he begins to change our heart. He, he, he wants to take you and I from where we were formerly, and he wants to make us more like him. And so in our worship, as we worship God, as we, as we speak things of truth, that is God's spirit working through us. As we seek to love our, our wives, in my case, uh, maybe your husbands, or we seek to love our parents, or we seek to care for our kids, as we, as we seek to do all these things, we have the opportunity to say, um, I'm going to either do this out of my strength, or Matt's bucket, if you will, or I'm going to do this out of the work of God's spirit within me. And what I told them yesterday is I said, Jesus has left us this picture that to love one another as I have loved you, what he which is what he says in John 13 to his disciples, means that they are going to be dependent because they're never going to be able to love the way Jesus loves unless they recognize that they have first been loved and that love comes from God. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is how this kind of worship is lived out. It's, it's lived out by saying, God, would you help me love my spouse today? God, would you help me be kind to my boss today? 
God, would you give me the power to make the right decision here? Because God, you know I fall down here all the time. God, would you help me to honor you? All right, so we've got dynamically animated by God's Holy Spirit, informed by the revelation of God. One of the amazing things that God has given us is his word. And the reason is because in his word, he has shown us his heart and how we are called to honor him. Some people, uh, it's the beginning of the Jesus storybook Bible. It says something like this. Um, Some people think this is a book about rules or a book about how you're supposed to do this. And it's really God's love story to you. And Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. The, the relationship God calls us into is one where we certainly honor and obey his word, but our performance is not based upon our obedience. It's based upon what Christ has done for us. Because if our performance is based upon our obedience, whew, I don't know about you, but I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Paul says it this way, should, should sin abound so that grace might increase? Because Paul recognizes that grace abounds even where there is sin. And he says, God forbid, let's not, let's not let sin abound just so that grace can abound. But he recognizes that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth, John chapter 1 says. We're going to look at that phrase in a couple of weeks and, and what that means to walk that out. But here's what I want you to know about worship. Worship is a response to the greatness, of glory, the greatness and glory of God. Let me say that again. Worship is a response to the greatness and glory of God. So the life that you and I are called to live when we hit Monday morning is called to be a life of worship. But we're not left on our own. He's given us a spirit to dynamically animate our life and to give us direction and wisdom for how we are to walk out his teaching. Jesus declares to this woman, he says, we worship what we know because God had revealed himself to the Jewish people. Worship, which was centered around the temple, was about to have a drastic change because Jesus' death and once for all sacrifice for sin was about to change everything about how you and I can relate to God in our broken and sinful state. In other words, as the hymn writer puts it, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And in doing so, he invites us into a relationship. So, so the woman in verse 25 here, she says to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us, right? She knows about the Messiah. She knows that from the Torah. And he responds to her this way. He says, I am he. I am he. Now, when he says this, he's not just saying, oh, by the way, that's me. He's not using a a, just a simple form. I mean, he is, but he's not, because one of the things that one of the names of God is I am. We looked at this in our summer series. You can go back and listen to that, um, that teaching. In Exodus chapter 3, God says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. At his very nature, he is God. And by Jesus saying this, he is revealing to herself, revealing to her explicitly the one you're talking about, the Messiah, the one who's coming to bring all this teaching and this good news. Uh, The Samaritans pictured this messianic figure as one who would reveal the truth in line with his role as the ultimate prophet. And Jesus says, I am. I am he. 
and he's tying himself to this tradition that she would have been familiar with. In other words, Jesus has revealed himself to this Samaritan woman. He's invited her to take a drink of the free gift of water that he alone can provide. And she finds out he just doesn't know a lot of stuff. He actually knows and wants me. Would you let that sink in for a moment? Some of us this morning, we come from a past where, where a lot of our life was based upon performance and expectations. It's based upon, if I do this, will God love me? If I do that, will God love me? Oh no, I must not be loved by God. Jesus comes to this woman whose life is patterned after a whole bunch of just really tough stuff and a lot of sin. And he says to her, basically, I love you. I'm enough for you. Taking a little liberties with some of the language here, of course. He's basically saying to her, look, there's only one place you're going to find everything you need. And that's at the table with me. That's at the table with me. I'm going to show you a couple other verses before Matt comes back up. His disciples arrive. We'll talk about that next week. Um, but in verse 28, it says, then the woman left her jar. And you're like, well, she's at Jesus. Why is she leaving? She goes to town and she told the men, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Jesus had told her prior, you know, go get your husband. And she's like, uh. She went and she got a whole bunch of people. All right? She, she went and she told the men, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Think about, just for a moment, everything you ever did. And think about how those words for her now are not words of condemnation. Because she had experienced a gift of grace from a God who had come down to her. Those are not words of condemnation. She's saying, look, he met me truthfully in who I am. He met me where I was, and there he showed grace. There he showed mercy. She left her water jar, goes into town, she tells the men, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And I want to point your eyes to verse 30. They left the town, all right? So you've got all these people, however many there are there. They've left the town, and they made their way. And what comes after that word in your Bible? For him, okay? Mine has to him. It's a preposition. It can be translated a couple different ways, but I love for the way the HCSB translates it. They make their way to they don't make their way to the mountain to go worship. They don't make their way to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. They make their way to the one who has revealed himself to be all they need. They make their way to him. And not only that, in verses 39 through 42, one of the things that we, we see here, the Samaritans that came from the town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified he told me everything he ever did. Therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, right? So here's a bunch of Samaritans going out, asking a Jew to come stay with them, something that would not have happened um, in normal case. And Jesus stayed there two days. 
verse 41 says, many more believed because of what he said. He said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, because we've heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Here is the picture of the table. There's a lot of religion that we seek to put in between us and Jesus. First and foremost, walking with God is coming to Jesus, and there's no other way to do it. Later in John's gospel, he'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's a you know, verse of salvation, a verse of you have to come through my, 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 my broken body, broken for you, and my, my blood poured out for you. But it's also a call to himself because elsewhere in the scriptures, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, let me give you rest. And sometimes we're like, oh man, I need rest. Oh man, I need this. Oh man, I need th that. And we miss the first three words of Jesus' statement. Come to me. Jesus meets this woman's spiritual needs in grace and truth. Grace is the gift of God for eternal life to the undeserving. Truth is understanding our sinfulness against the holiness of God. God doesn't wipe things under the mat. He doesn't say forget about it. He, he, he doesn't do that. When we turn from our sin... He looks at us, he looks at this woman, and he says, you know what? You've asked me for eternal life. You've trusted in me. I'm going to give that to you. You are forgiven. I think he tells you, you are my daughter. And if she goes away, she doesn't go in shame because she knows she's been loved. And what's amazing is no other religion in the world does this. All right? Every other religion in the world has some way that you have to be made right. Christianity is unique in that it clearly states there's no way that you and I can be made right. And some of you here may have been trying for numerous years upon years upon years to make yourself right before God. Can I just say you can't do that? <laughs> like, it's not possible. But Jesus can. And he extends to you and I this offer of life. And the question is, will we receive it? And if we have received it, the question is, okay, will I come back to the table frequently to be reminded, God, you are enough for me. Instead of living out of my bucket of self-preservation, will I, will I live by the truth that Christ is all I need? This is what living at the table begins to look like, and it's what Jesus wants to call us into. What I believe Jesus wants us to learn to live daily, because it's this kind of living that leads to a witness amongst the people that we interact with, where they begin to say, wait, you, you're a different person. And you begin to say, it's because I know of a table that I'd like to invite you to. We see that Jesus loved the woman at the well, don't we? Unmistakable. How do you know that Jesus loves you? How do you know that? I can tell you that, and you can read it, and you can hear it, but until God reveals it to you, then you know. God you know God loves you because he created you. 
God is God. He doesn't do things that don't make sense for him. He loved you, and he created you. And he created you, and then he comes to you and says, come to me. Church, Jesus says to us, come to me. And we have our buckets, and we carry our buckets around, and we like to get our buckets cleaned up. We'd like to empty them out, and then we'll come to God. I don't often wear jeans to church, but I did today just as a small symbol to say, come as you are. Come with your bucket. The woman at the well, I love that story because she was there with Christ. She had her bucket. Yeah, I got five husbands. Yeah. That's her bucket. Her bucket was filled undoubtedly with things that had happened to her throughout her whole life that led her to that position. We come to the table. We bring our bucket. And I envision, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, God, look what I did. Yep, it's pretty cool, isn't it? I got this. Hey, God says, what's that in your bucket? Oh, this is my shield. God says, you don't need a shield to protect your heart. Give me your shield to protect you from pain. I'll give you a shield of faith. God says, what's that in your bucket? Where'd my helmet go? It's my helmet. It's to protect me. God says, you don't need that helmet. Give me your, your helmet. I'll give you a helmet of salvation. I said, Lord, look what I've done. Isn't this awesome? Isn't this great? I can perform. I'm good. And God says, you don't need that. You don't need to perform for me to love you and me to accept you. And so when we come to the table, God says, will you give me, will you give me your performance? Will you give me your need to be loved and to be accepted? Because I love you and I accept you. Will you give me your need to protect yourself? I will protect you. Will you give me all your achievements, all the things that you do? Will you give those to me? Over our life, it would be nice if we just come to God and we give him our whole bucket. My life hasn't been that way. I'll give him one thing at a time. But to do that, we have to come to the table. Romans 12, 1 and 2 where Paul says, I urge you, I urge you, I implore you, brothers, please present yourselves to God. The only active verb in that Romans 12, 1 and 2 is when he asks the Christian, present yourself to God. And it's when I come to the table in those quiet moments when I've excluded all the noise, all the messages in my life, and I come in quiet, I come in peace, and I say, Lord, here I am. Those moments, God will reveal himself to you. God is God. He can reveal, you, reveal himself to you anywhere at any time. But if you want to intentionally take God at his word, 
if you want to mature in your Christian life, if you want to experience what the Christian life has for you, God says, come to me. Come to the table. Come as you are. Come with your bucket. Come with your wounds. Come with your bandages. Come with everything. And God says, I will love you. I do love you because I created you. Come to me and let me live my life through you. Next week, we're going to start to look at bringing others to the table. You know, a lot of people come to the church to, to find answers, and they come and they don't see the power of God. And they say, well, that looks just like another country club. The power of God in your life starts at the table. And it goes through, from that point, it goes through. You want to touch your neighbor? You want to reach your coworker? You really want to have an impact in the lives around you? Come to the table. And so this morning, we, uh, as a metaphor, we have uh, tables in the narthex. Uh, there would be f- uh, fruit and bagels. Uh, it's real biblical because there's grapes there. I don't know if bagels are biblical, but uh, there's grapes there, right, bananas. Um, so here's what we ask you to do. Um, if you are in the, the Sunday school class, the traditional class in the parlor, uh, that's still available. Um, but you don't have to join. You don't have to stay for an hour. We just ask, go out, stand around a table, enjoy some food together. Come to the table together and enjoy fellowship with each other for the next, as long as you want to stay. There are cards on the table, and three questions on the card. Uh, the questions are, uh, for those uh, online, um, talk about a bandage experience you've had in your life. How has that affected you? Talk about how do buckets, things in your bucket, affect you today? We have several things in the bucket, as Jeremy mentioned. I believe I have to make myself good enough for God. Good luck with that. I've been trying for a long time, 30 years, and it never happened. Um, but talk about the things in your bucket. And then describe to each other what does it look like for you to come to the table. If you're going to invite other people to the table, we have to know what, it, what it's like to come to the table ourselves. So do that out there. If you have kids and you want to play in the gym, there's, there's a table down there with food as well. But we ask, just stay in fellowship and encourage each other around, around these things. Um, we've wanted to, to do this series for a couple months now. I guess we've been working on it for kind of a couple months. Uh, because, as Matt said, this idea of coming to God is so foundational to our Christian walk. And it's foundational to our effectiveness for being a witness for him in the community God has placed us. We, we desire to be a church that, that sees people come to Jesus and that sees up, up, up and past third generation disciples of Jesus. But discipleship always begins here, right? And so as we think about, God, how will you use us for your kingdom expansion in the world uh, and in Zealand? We, we always want to build a good foundation. And so we're coming back to these foundational truths for that reason. Um, and it's just so encouraging to me. Um, God is moving in the lives of people. And God is revealing himself into them. I've had so many great conversations with 
people here in the last week. And, and even I've had some great conversations with various missionaries that I've been able to connect with over, over the time. And so I, I just love to see how God is working um, in this crazy world that we find ourselves. Um, before we dismiss, I, I just want to say this. We, we love you. Uh, as, as pastors and elders, and we, we, we love you, and we pray God's grace and God's blessing upon you as you go into this next week. I know some of you are jumping into some pretty big things. Um, some of you are walking through some really difficult roads. Some of you are walking through various stages of loss, and, and just remember God is with you, and if there's anything we can do to pray for you, encourage you, we'd love to be able to do that. Um, our phone system was down this week because the major system, like in the provider we use got hacked. So I'm sorry if you've called this week and it didn't go through. Uh, but, but this week we should be in better shape, I hope. Um, before we end, um, we also, I, I, I um, told the folks out there, I would mention this. Uh, we're creating a new um, picture directory. That's what it's called. And we'd love to have you a part of it. If you're part of our church, a regular tender member here, uh, we'd love to have you a part of that. There's tables out there where you can check your info just to make sure that we have the right number and address and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you can submit a photo for that if you have a favorite family photo from a vacation. Or Lisa is also here today, and she'll be taking photos uh, in the room right behind the coffee table. Um, photos kind of like this, you know. <laughs> I love it. They had a little photo shoot the other day of good times. There we go. So that's the kind of photo you can have, or you can just get a good old family photo. <laughs> oh, would you stand with me as we bless the Lord? Let's pray. Father, our Father and our King, God, there's so many ways in which um, we can be found uh, going towards shame and guilt or pride, and we can really try to edge you out of our lives and think that we can do all these things you've called us to in our own strength. God, would you remind us again this week that we trust in the name of the Lord our God who is able to do everything you have called us to. God, we thank you for your spirit. And I, I, for one, um, don't always walk in the fullness of your spirit. But God, I want to. Even today in this moment, God, would you renew us? Would you empower us by your spirit to speak words of hope and words of grace into both easier and difficult situations? God, as we go into the world around us, remind us Remind us again, God, of how much you have done for us by sending your son, Jesus, to die and to rise again, to pay for our sins and to make us one with you. And God, would you remind us that the people around us need to hear this message of hope as well. And God, may we not just take them to a building, may we take them to you, the one who alone can satisfy their needs. We bless you, God. May the love of God go with you and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you as you seek to serve him and wherever he has called you and however he has planted you this week. Go be the hands and the feet of Jesus, church family. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. 
If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.